Hi, I'm Garrett, and welcome to The Conversation. I think conversation is one of the most important tools we have for building and maintaining genuine relationships. In the age of the internet and social media, the conversation is a dying art. While we're technically more connected than ever, it seems more difficult than ever to engage with alternative perspectives in a meaningful way. We talk past each other and speak totally different languages without even knowing it. This show is my attempt at working on that problem. I'm trying to learn how to have meaningful conversation and practice what I learn. It's partly an experiment. Maybe if I start having more difficult conversations, I can get better at it. Maybe we can all get better at it. I don't know how this experiment's going to turn out, but hey, this could be interesting. I don't know how you get Joe Rogan's energy without having to like be a TV host and just talk to people constantly learning how to do that for, I don't know, 30 years or however long he's been doing it. Right, right. And I feel like Joe Rogan has the mystical, magical ability to empty his mind. Like, <laughs> completely. He's, he's one of the best listeners I've ever watched in action. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes there there are some yeah, moments yeah, yeah. where you watch him and you're well, like, "That's the other thing is like you're not paying attention." So many shows per week. It's like I don't know how how you manage to do that. Even I mean, it's there's some points where it's like so obvious, like what are you doing, man? But it's then, mm-hmm. but then like within context, it's like the the level of consistency is, is quite quite impressive. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah, I mean, one thing I've learned from podcasting over time is that everybody has something interesting to say. And so I think if you can figure out how to get that out of the guest, you're going to have a good show no matter what. Right. Yeah, it's just... I mean, but the, the, the reason I even wanted to do this project in general was like I, I had a really abstract sense of that, that like, okay, if I just kind of put myself in, like lock myself in, 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 a, in a room where like, okay, somebody's expecting to talk to me for two hours, I'm going to have to just either get better at listening to people or mm-hmm. get better at, at talking and bullshitting for a long time, <laughs> yep. which, which maybe I'm getting better at both. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll find out. I'll be the judge. I'll let you know at the end of this <laughs> if, if it went well or not. <laughs> but man, yeah, the, the reason, I mean, the reason we decided we wanted to do this was because you mentioned kind of in passing when we were doing your show was th- that you had grown up in the, well, specifically the Mormon church, the Latter-day Saints church, because I, I in my past, this past week, I've done a little bit of, now, now I had to dig in a little bit. So I started doing some research to see, oh, there are different denominations of Mormons as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot of different sects of Mormonism. It's kind of generally considered, you know, the Latter-day Saint movement, the Mormon movement uh, is kind of all grouped, grouped in there. And uh, the denomination I grew up in is the largest one. It, it uh, claims 16 million members worldwide, but okay. that's what's that's what's on the books, not not butts and seats, right? Okay, um, is it kind of like the, like a lot of countries are sort of nominally Catholic, where it's like, okay, well, there's 14 million Catholics in Russia or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except there are the the difference. I think is the the commitment. Like if if people are committed to the church, they show up every single week. Right. Whereas, like, I think you'll find a lot of Catholics who don't show up every week, but are still like, I'm Catholic. Yeah. The Mormons who don't show up every week usually don't consider themselves Mormon. Obviously, there's a lot of gray area there, but 
Yeah, so I was raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. That was okay. Where a mouthful of a, of a, of yeah, a denomination. <laughs> it it is, and uh, within the past couple of years, they've they've started demanding that they be referred to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints instead of as Mormons. And uh, hmm. <laughs> I've noticed that because I I recently yeah. I just I. I don't know why. I think maybe I saw an ad or something. Actually, I have seen a few few different ads for for Mormon Church or just like it's interesting because something will just pop up and say like you know are you looking for meaning in life or mm-hmm. like are are you just really sad and like you just need you need something in your life to to give you happiness again or it's like mm-hmm. it, it's it's interesting like pitching a religion like in an ad to oh yeah. Which I mean, I, I that kind of makes sense given the I don't know the the way the internet has shaped the way we we communicate and the way that we sell things it's just like it's weird selling a culture i guess oh yeah yeah like selling it is huge going to church growing up it was always people are going to be watching you you know people will be seeing your actions and if they see the light of christ in your eyes they'll want to come to church and they'll get baptized and you know blah 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 right Mm -hmm. and so that was a huge thing was always it was like always be selling right always be closing um, just to, to, it was, it was just so ingrained in you. And I, sorry, I, I, I didn't want to come to, out of the gate swinging, like pointing out things that I thought were weird. Like this is no, not at all. <laughs> like no. the, the interesting thing that I, I was really looking forward to about this is just kind of hoping to sort of uh, compare your experience to my own, because mm-hmm. there's a level in which almost every, um, at least most of the Christians that I know, especially evangelical tr- Christians that sort of grew up Christian, had some level of the experience of like realizing, oh, the way my, the way these, you know, this Bible and the way these sacred texts and this soul religion was pitched to me isn't quite the way it is. And, mm-hmm. or at least it didn't, doesn't seem to be to me based on what I, what I seem to know now. And like, right. So anybody I know that like still wants to identify as Christian has at least gone through some sort of experience of like sort of rejecting certain things about their faith, maybe the entire thing, maybe coming back to it. But it's, well, I mean, I, I don't want to put any words in your mouth, but I'm, I'm wondering what it was like <laughs> getting, like, I don't even know where to start. How did you, let, let's start before you, before, before you left. Growing up in this. Yeah. Did you, I mean, this was just normal to you, right? I mean, everybody else around, I assume, like all your peers. Yep. It wasn't, yeah. it didn't feel like a mysterious, like uh, I'm part of a, a cult or, or I don't know how you would describe it. No, yeah. I thought, you know, I, I thought this was just the culture. This was the group of people I was raised with and grew up with. I was born and raised in South Calgary in, in Canada. And it's like the Mormon hub of... Canada. And so I went to school with a lot of other Mormon kids and that was just, that was just normal. Right. And those were all my friends growing up. I, and so to me, it was just normal. That's just what we did. I spent 20 plus hours a week doing church things, three hours a week at church on Sunday. Sometimes since my parents were divorced, I'd go to church with my mom and then I'd go to church with my dad mm-hmm. after two because I had friends in both congregations. And so oh, okay. I'd, want, I'd go, you know, and spend time with them there. And then, um, and then we had family home evening Monday nights, which is when the family gets together and does a little church lesson at home and sometimes has snacks, sings a song, you know, whatever. 
And then uh, Wednesday nights or Tuesday nights, we would do scouts and stuff. Fridays, sometimes there was another activity with friends more casually. It was thing after thing after thing all the time, every single week for my whole life. Hmm. So, so yeah, so you're, you're, it wasn't just like a, you know, this is my religion. And so I occasionally, like once a week, I could sort of go and pay tribute to the fact mm-hmm. that I'm, that I'm this religion. It's like, it was a full life encompassing thing. Every, everything. I never, I never hung out with friends after school because of it. Right. So I didn't, I didn't have the opportunity to make friends outside of it because, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, I can't hang out after school. I have an activity tonight at church. Right. Yeah. I mean, how much of that do you look back on now with some level of still like nostalgia or romanticism about it? Is it it's just mostly, I mean, at this point, I assume you're still kind of really unpacking. Yeah. What this yeah. Was I mean, you. yeah. So I, I mean, I've been unpacking for a while. I mean, it's always an ongoing process. I don't think it'll ever stop really. But for me, I look back on it pretty fondly. You know, I'm still friends with some of these people. I went for lunch the other day with one of my seminary teachers, which was another thing we did. We went to seminary before school, and it was like a before school church class. Right. And uh, that was five days a week, you know. And uh, I'm still friends with a lot of these people. And so I look back fondly on the friendships, on the relationships, because I don't think, I don't think those were fake, Right. right. Um, and, and being gone now and being out now, it's pretty apparent that they weren't fake. There certainly were some friendships that relied on me showing up to church on Sundays or to the activity on Wednesdays in order to nurture that relationship. But the real close friends that I made, they're still real close friends. We just kind of have this slight change in how we make contact. Yeah. And that's always the hard thing is just like I, I've noticed kind of watching so many of my peers and you've just kind of listening to different people online talk about their experiences of sort of deconstructing their religious upbringing. And some people, I mean, it's, it's just it's really easy to kind of get sucked into this trap of just thinking everything about it and everything associated with it was just evil and bad. Mm-hmm. And all those people were just liars and trying to fool you. And like, I, I don't think that... That's what I was thinking as I was kind of just meditating on this this whole what is Mormonism this past week because I was you, you told me I got to check out the book of Ether so I read most of the book of Ether most of the book of First Nephi and I started out I was thinking like yeah yeah I got my got my handy book of Mormon right here very nice very good but I started out and I was I was like I was okay this this might be interesting I, I the, the first comparison that came to mind I was like oh is this this is going to be like if this guy's good at sort of creating a world and creating a story, I don't know, for some reason the comparison came of like Tolkien and like creating Middle Earth and it's like, whoa, this this could be kind of cool. But as I got through it, it, it just, I don't know. Well, I mean, maybe I should ask you a little bit of your your feeling about <laughs> looking back. I mean, did did you have to read the whole Book of Mormon yourself? Yeah, yeah. Okay. There were there were two books that I read uh, as a minor. So I I've never been a big reader. But there were two books I, I read before turning 18. Now, since I've become a, a bit more of a reader, but before I turned 18, I read Catching Fire, the second book in the Hunger Games okay. series, 
and the Book of Mormon. And I think I read the Book of Mormon twice before, twice like beginning to end. And then, of course, I, you know, would read different passages and sometimes I'd restart. Everybody jokes like, oh, everybody's read First Nephi, you know, 10 times more than they've read any other book because you start it and then you kind of stop reading and then you go back and start at the beginning again. So you didn't didn't read anything else? Like Mm -mm. no chapter? I mean... like you didn't, I, read, you didn't even read like the the Mormon canonical good fiction Orson Scott card. You didn't read Ender's Game that whole series. No, no, I I read uh, the odd chapter of a book that I had to do for book reports in school, um, but other other than that, I I just read to get enough information. Catching Fire I read for pleasure, and the Book of Mormon I read because I was supposed to. Was it just like there was a there was a secret like a black market copy of Catching Fire getting passed around at school, and you happened to get your hands on it and were allowed to read it? <laughs> no, no, my 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 sister you just didn't was have time? Uh, she was a she was a big Hunger Games fan. Okay, and uh, and uh, we had to read the Hunger Games for one of my junior high classes, and I read most of it enough to kind of keep up with the class. And then I was like, okay, that was good. And then I lost my iPod and had no games to play. So I, uh, oh. so I read a book instead. That's how I read Hunger or Catching Fire. Okay. So before that, your, your kind of escape from the routine of life and from all the different events that were happening was like, was iPod gaming? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we, we played so many iPod games. And I mean, we had YouTube, I think. I would have had Minecraft at some point in mm. there. I'm not sure at what point we got that on our computer. It wasn't like our house was locked down and we were mm. only allowed to read certain books or anything. But uh, I've just never been a big reader. So my choice of entertainment was just iPod games. <laughs> Lots of Cube Runner, if anybody remembers yeah, that game. <laughs> I, I actually think I played that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that was my favorite. Because in, in my house, my, like there was... I assume there was probably these restrictions on, like, to some extent about media. Like, if if yeah. there's, like, in, in evangelical households, it was pretty common to, like, okay, if there's, like, depending on how homeschooled you were, um, if there's even bad language in a movie, then you probably mm. are not allowed to watch it. But maybe if if you weren't, if, if you are more of just a general evangelical Christian, then maybe, like, okay, you can... Maybe a couple of swear words is all right, but we should probably stay away from nudity. That's bad. Mm-hmm. And also, my parents were, were very, um, they're trying to look out for and try to be careful of like witchcraft, right? They don't, oh, anything really? That had, like magic in it. Okay. Yeah, no, witchcraft was never a, bi- a big concern in my family. That was never made a big deal out of. None of us read Harry Potter. I read it as an adult. Hmm. None of us read it, but it wasn't like banned in the household or anything. My stepdad played Dungeons and Dragons when he was a young adult. And so, you know, there was, there, there wasn't really so much superstition around that. I think it's probably, at least in my experience, it was pretty rare for uh, an LDS or Mormon family to be, you know, really, really adamant about no witchcraft, no face cards, you know, those kind of superstitions weren't as common. No Ouija boards though. That was definite. No, no. In my house. Um, but yeah. And then as far as media, media control goes Sunday, it was only church movies, which there's, there's, uh, there are a few Latter-day Saint, like Mormon comedies, 
um, that we were allowed to watch, and we watched Veggie Tales and you know other stuff like that on Sundays, or just generally wholesome movies. And then during the week, most things were pretty okay as long as it was age appropriate, I guess. Right. Um, and nudity and cursing was kind of you know no no, but iffy, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But we weren't locked down. That right? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm assuming. Yeah, you can get an idea that like, okay, this is like a a boxed off community, or it's like a, like a North Korea mm. situation. <laughs> yeah. No. No. We lived in a suburb. <laughs> that was, it, you know, yeah. It was it was pretty normal, and really depends on the Mormon kids. Some Mormon kids would shelter themselves more than others. Um, I definitely sheltered myself more than other Mormon kids, uh, but that was my choice. I think I probably seemed weird even to my parents. They were right. like, you got to relax on this thing a little bit. So what was it for you? You just had like a sense of like you wanted to like be, you know, like please God or something like yeah. you just didn't want to. Yeah. Like I, I had to be as holy as possible. And so everything I did was to just try and make sure that I was doing that right. And so I remember there was a month where I just read the Book of Mormon, and there was a period of a few years where I listened to nothing but church music. Like, Mm -hmm. for years, I wouldn't listen to anything else unless I was in somebody else's vehicle and they were playing something. But when I was on my own, I would only play, like, Mormon tabernacle choir music. Mm -hmm. And that's all I would listen to because I was trying to uh, feel that connection with God, right? At the back of the Book of Mormon, it says, you know, it says, oh, you're supposed to pray to know if these things are true, right? And I would pray and pray and pray, and I never got that answer. And so I thought, mm. well, I must, you know, be doing something wrong. I must not, must not be sincere enough. Yeah. And so I'd try and make sure that I was, you know, keeping every commandment to the letter. Jeez. So I I imagine there was a lot of sort of like pent up guilt or like just wondering, I don't know, like if you hadn't had that feeling, then it's like, why, why isn't this coming? I'm, yeah. I just need to be more holy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge thing in Mormonism that you have to be perfect, right? I, I mean, be therefore perfect, even, even as my father in heaven is perfect, right? Like, that was the thing you you had to figure out how to always be better how to always be worthy and to top it off we had regular worthiness interviews with our bishop who is wow. you know uh, similar to like the priest or the pastor of the con- congregation right and that was every 6 months as, as a kid it was it was a worthiness up. interview so c- can yes. you contrast that with like a catholic um Confession? A confession? Yeah. Yeah. So actually, conveniently, I've actually done Catholic confession okay. before. So so I, I have been through both experiences. Catholic confession, you go in, you sit down with, with the priest, and you you uh, say you, there's like there's, the whole There's ritual. like a divider, right, too? There, there is a divider sometimes, but okay. when I did it, there wasn't. Okay. It was at like a big event. And he asked me, he, he says, have you been baptized? Because I said, I've never done this before. And I say, yeah, I've been baptized into another denomination. He says, okay, well, you know, and then he walks me through the whole process. And I'm like, Father, forgive me for I've sinned or forgive me, Father, for I've sinned and go through, confess all my sins. But it's a lot more casual, right? Mm-hmm. The, the priest invites you to confess 
and you say what's there. And then the priest gave me some words of wisdom, some advice, and that was kind of it. And he absolved me of my sins, and that was it. With a Mormon bishop, however, it's a regular checkup, and you go in, and you sit down in front of this grown man, uh, usually middle-aged, 50s, sometimes 60s. Uh, I had some younger bishops in their 30s, but then they ask you. They say, they say are you honest in your dealings with your fellow man? Okay, yes, you know. Um, then they ask you if you keep the law of chastity, which means no masturbation, no pornography, uh, no sexual relationships at all outside of marriage. Um, so people were pretty good at lying then? People were super good at lying. That's, <laughs> what, that's one of the first things I learned as a Mormon, right, was you have to lie to get through this, right? Jeez. And uh, But they, they ask these questions, and they're just supposed to ask these yes or no questions, and you give your response, yes or no, and then they mark it down. And if you're good to go, you're, you're good to go. If you confess, which a lot of people do because they feel the guilt weigh on them, right. and then they confess, and then the bishop might ask follow-up questions. And this is where leadership roulette comes in because some leaders will take the yes or no answer and just be like, okay, thank you, you know. And others will pry which they're not supposed to do, right? but they will say, oh, do you keep the law of chastity? And you say no. And, or you, if you say, if you say, yes, I keep the law of chastity, they might say, oh yeah. (laughs) So, so no masturbation, no, no pornography. There are no girls at school that you're, you're touching, you know, and they, they might ask those kinds of questions and, and pry into it, which they're not supposed to do. But it's a lot more of an interrogation than a Catholic confession is. And, and they'll, they'll pry. And I'm sure in Catholic confession, there, there are some priests who yeah, treat it sure, as an sure. interrogation as well. I don't want to blanket that. I'm only speaking from one yeah. experience that I had. So, D- Does it end, though, with an absolution? Like, you know, your sins are forgiven and it's all, it's all, it's all good? Again, depends on the bishop. Sometimes the bishop will say, and depending on the sin— this quote unquote sin, right? Uh, sometimes the bishop will will give you you know certain instructions or encouragement or just say thanks for sharing this with me. I know some people, if, I know some people, the bishop is like, I don't know how to deal with this. Go talk to your doctor about that and ask them if that's healthy, right? And that's mm. the right way. <laughs> if you're in that situation and somebody confesses something to you that you're worried about their health, yeah, send them to a doctor. You're, you're a bishop, like you're a guy, maybe an accountant or a lawyer or something, right? That's not your job. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, oh, where was I Where was I going with that? Well, I totally... We were just talking about whether or not there was a sense of like feeling forgiven oh, right. at the end. Like, is it, right, is it just, a, right. I'm going to bring up everything you've done wrong and now we're just going to think about that for a little while? Yeah, so sometimes, sometimes that's what it was. Sometimes it was like, Gosh. it was like, okay, well... Uh, don't take the sacrament or communion, right? Don't don't take the sacrament for X number of weeks, sometimes a month, sometimes a year. And then the sacrament is a very public thing, right? In a Catholic mass, you get up and you walk up to the front and the priest hands you the wafer and the goblet, right? In a Mormon sacrament, the young men, the 12, 13-year-olds, come around with trays, with the little cups of water on them and little pieces of bread. 
and they'll hand it around. It's water, eh? It's not wine or, or even Yeah, it's water, not that, wine. That? Yeah, no, it's just okay. water. Um, but they'll, they'll hand it around. And then, uh, but then if you've sinned, you're not taking the sacrament and everybody on your bench can see that, right? And so you're a teenager sitting there with your family. There's a lot of pressure to make sure you can take the sacrament every single week. And oh so again, God. teaching you to lie. <sighs> that is so, I mean, yeah, this is what I, I was, I was saying, or like, I, as I started to try to read through the book of Mormon at first, it was like, Oh, this could be cool. And then it was like, Oh, this is kind of funny. And then something clicked and I was like, no way, this is actually really sad. Mm-hmm. I'm, <laughs> I, I, like st- looking at it from the outside in Mormonism was like kind of just like a joke sometimes among my peers. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, th- they, they don't have it figured out. Obviously we, we, everything's fine on our end, but th- and that's how we felt about you. Right. <laughs> right. We said the exact same thing about any other Christian religion, Muslims, like, you know, any Buddhist, e- right. even, you know, although Buddhist, there was, even in Mormonism, there's like an admiration for for Buddhism sometimes a lot that a lot of people have. Um, but there is still that sense of even if you admire other religions, there's still the oh, aren't they sweet? Yeah, you know <laughs> they haven't figured it out yet, right? Yeah, and it's like so many people have that have that perspective, and it was like when I started to notice that that was the same perspective that other sort of denominations had towards my beliefs it was like oh wait crap i i guess just having this perspective isn't good enough as far as like feeling sure or anything right it it doesn't it doesn't decide for you whether (laughs) this is true or not it's like it's a a useful sort of like defense mechanism but it doesn't really mean anything right it's a defense mechanism for you specifically yeah it's all all it is is reassure yourself that yeah. no 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 i i have the truth like right. i don't have to worry about that Which, i i have it the scary thing is that i don't know i don't even think that you should try to have try to totally get rid of that feature of like your your cognitive abilities like like that's that's i think in a lot of cases i mean everybody does this so it, mm-hmm. it can't it can't be just like in inherently a fly it wouldn't sort of evolutionarily develop otherwise it's like mm-hmm. in order to be confident enough to act out any sort of tradition of values you have to sort of have some some useful tools for dismissing other ideas that look kind of similar but aren't quite the same thing mm-hmm. like yeah otherwise you're just going to be constantly in a state of well i'm not quite sure if this is the right right way to be living uh maybe i should see if they know a better way and then it's like you become so unsure of yourself. So it's like I, I don't even think that it's wrong. It's like that that feature in you is totally normal, and mm-hmm. it, and it's like but but sometimes it yields some terrible results. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, really, the first time the first time I learned to lie in, in Mormonism, I want to go back to this because this is this is the very beginning um, where I. I was eight years old. Mormons get baptized when they're eight years old, usually. Um, and it's, I was is there a eight. reason, like a symbolic, like a symbolic number? That is eight? the quote unquote age of accountability. That's when oh, you are okay. old enough to make choices and be responsible for your choices. Before that, you kind of get a free pass with God. Right. It's like, 
oh, you're, you know, you're only seven, you know, you don't See, know that what you're doing we, is wrong. We never yet. canonized a, a specific date, like a specific age of accountability. That word is kind of thrown around of like, uh, there's like an abstract, there's a, there's a time where eventually you're sort of more responsible for your, your decision making, but like, oh, okay. You actually had so a there, number. That's that's right. scary. The idea is there, but yeah. So in Mormonism, it's eight years old, and it's like at eight, congratulations, you are now ready to sign an eternal contract. Good job, like <laughs> <laughs> you've you've made it. Yeah. And of course, what kid isn't going to get baptized, right? Oh, mom and dad said it's the most wonderful thing ever. It's the best decision you'll ever make, and so of course. I say, of course I'm going to get baptized. So I go, I get baptized, and everybody tells me, you're going to feel warm and fuzzy. Like, those were the words, warm and fuzzy. You're going to feel mm-hmm. warm and fuzzy. That's the Holy Spirit, right? You're going to feel warm and fuzzy when you're baptized. I didn't. And, and so I immediately thought, something, something is wrong with me. Oh. But in order to fit in, I have to make sure that I say that's how I felt. And I remember distinctly telling people, yeah, I felt warm and fuzzy. And then I get uh, this My Baptism book. It was this little book that you could fill out about who was there on your day of your baptism and to what the memory was like. And the first question in there is, how did you feel on your day of baptism? And I wrote in there, I remember consciously thinking, I have to say this just in case anybody reads this ever. I wrote warm and fuzzy. I remember distinctly, like specifically writing warm and fuzzy because I thought if anybody ever reads this, like I have to toe the line, right? Even if I'm lying, I have to toe the line. Wow. So you didn't even have a sense of like, did you do any sort of journal writing anywhere where you were able to sort of record your own thoughts and sort of really comfortably just analyze your own thoughts without being afraid somebody was going to like look at them? Um, not, not up to that, that point because I mean, I yeah, wasn't pretty really a great point. writer, right? I had to get my mom to help me to, to write things down and stuff. Right. And so, you know, my journal writing was pretty sparse and now I, I write fairly regularly, probably at least once a month. I'll, I'll write in my journal and 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 now I'm I'm significantly more honest because one I don't care and two I live on my own I'm a grown adult I'm not really worried about right. somebody reading my journal right? right I feel like that's a very kid fear to have <laughs> but I I remember even even still writing in my journal as a young adult and as a teenager writing in my journal and reassuring myself that this is true, this is true, this is mm. true. And I would talk about my relationship with Jesus constantly, constantly. I would talk about the things I love about the the church and the gospel and, and all of this stuff. And in order to convince myself, right, I was writing it in there, you know, very passionately. I'm sure if you went wow. back, there was like this zeal yeah. <laughs> coming off the page, right? Well, I imagine all, there would be still a lot of emotion behind it because there's this urgency absolutely. to like to be doing it right and like really acting out what it means to be like a a good Christian or a good Mormon. Exactly, exactly. We had the uh, one of one of the twelve apostles, who's the leadership of the church. One of the twelve apostles, he would always say the the testimony is found in the bearing of it, right? 
this idea that if you want to have a testimony of the truthfulness of the gospel, you have to share your testimony, right? This this idea that you have to say it out loud, right? And I kind of call this auto-indoctrination, right? You're convincing yourself of it. Right. If If all I ever tell you about, Garrett, are the awful things in my life, you're going to, one, think there's nothing but awful things in my life. Right. And two, I'm going to think there's nothing but you're awful things in my life because that's those, all yeah. I say, right? And so if all I write about in my journal is Jesus is amazing, Jesus is Lord, and the Mormon church is true, and I love the Book of Mormon so much, I'm going to convince myself of it more and more and more. And I think, I don't know if I was you know, consciously doing that, but subconsciously, I was definitely like, I got to bear my testimony. I got to share this. I got to put this out there. I have yeah. to believe, right? Man, that's so, uh, it's, it's, it's sad to me. I don't know. I, 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 it's just seeing that you had this passion, like you, you were, you were just trying mm-hmm. to do it right. Like, mm-hmm. and then it all sort of backfires and it's, yeah, that's, that's so frustrating to see just like whenever, I don't like it, like just getting to know you the little bit that I have, it's like you're, you have I don't know, you're a good guy. <laughs> you were just trying to Thank be a you. good guy. And, <laughs> oh man, it's like, I, I don't know what, like in your situation, it's like when you're, when you're sort of being lied to, and I, I want to maybe explore that exactly, what, what that means to be being mm-hmm. lied to in that context. But like when, when you're sort of surrounded by lies, it's like, what, what even are you supposed to have done? Like, I, I don't think, do you look back and think, man, I, I should have noticed this sooner or I should have like left sooner or... Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know because in in my mind, I was raised my whole life. This was true. This was true. This was true, right? Try singing the ABCs in a different order, right? Like they're not that's not a universal constant that the ABCs go in that order, right? It just so happens to be that the way that it historically fell in order, right? And so for me, I never questioned it. I never thought, you know, because I was raised in it, this was everything that I knew. And so the idea that it wouldn't be true wasn't something that even crossed my mind. That didn't, that didn't even make sense to me. And so, you know, it wasn't that I was trying to flee away from some other belief or, or anything else. I was just trying to make sure that I had the one true belief, right? Uh, you know, the earth is round, the earth is round, the earth is round. Like I had to tell myself over and over again, you know, the story that I was told growing up. And um, yeah, and then eventually I, it started, I started meeting more people outside of Mormondom. And I started to realize like the world is a lot more complicated then I thought, and I don't have it all. I don't have like the truth. Mm. Yeah. I mean, did you have a sense of feeling like you were, see, this is the thing I'm wondering is like when you're, when you're, it's not just like, you know, sort of an abusive relationship where somebody has like sort of Mm -hmm. fooled everybody and like they're the one to blame and everybody else is just victims. It's like, there's a whole community here of people that were, genuinely you know cared about each other there's a lot of genuine friendships and and real you know people live mm-hmm. their lives here it, it's not just like somebody fooled everybody it's like there, there's actually a whole there's layers of people being bought into this and so like it's like it, do you think of i don't know like like the, the people that were teaching you I, I wouldn't even think about that as being 
necessarily a lie unless they felt like they were lying. It's like you can say right. something that's not necessarily true without, you know, trying to lie to somebody, trying to deceive somebody. Mm-hmm. Did you have a sense yeah. of feeling like you were being lied to or? No, no, never. And e- even even now, I it's so weird because when I was in, yeah, I never thought I was being lied to or anything. Everybody was so earnest and sincere in their beliefs. And I, I think a lot of them still are, right? Mm. And and so I never felt like I was being lied to. Um, but then, then when I left, there was that hope almost that I had been lied to. Because when I left, I hope, I, I was hoping in my head <laughs> that somebody would say, Oh yeah, no. I've known forever that it's that it's not true. I'm glad you finally figured it out. I was hoping so bad that one of my friends, one of the adults in my yeah. life, like somebody there would have said like, "Oh, I'm glad you finally figured it out. I did too, but I had to stay in for X reason or whatever, right?" I wish I wish I could say they were lying to me, but they really believe it. They really sincerely believe it. And maybe that's better. I don't know. I mean, I, I assume it would preserve some friendships, or at least it wouldn't like. It's like if you if you suddenly realize that like the people that that matter most to you have been intentionally lying to you and manipulating you for your entire mm-hmm. life, that would feel pretty much like okay, this this relationship is over. It's like wow, thanks for that. <laughs> but then the problem is is that I had felt for a while that it wasn't true, and so then when I left and everybody found out then a lot of my friends felt like they had been lied to okay. by me. Right. Because I had yeah. been lying to fit in. Sure. That's yeah. I mean, and to some, it's like, I don't even know to what level that's a lie. It's like you you have to sort of, if you're in a community and you're hanging out with people, then, then sometimes, I mean, like, this just goes into identity and self-presentation. It's like, are you lying whenever you act a certain way, even if you don't, totally feel that way it's like no you're just you're performing like the character that you believe is truly you and then when that character change changes then then you perform differently like yeah that's an interesting way to look at it and i i think it's accurate too because i was planning to stay forever even even when i didn't believe hmm. i thought i'll just stick in forever because this is where my family and friends are right. and i don't i don't know what i'll do when I, when I leave, right? I don't know who I'll be when I leave. Mm -hmm. And so I, yeah, I had that identity crisis where it's like, well, yeah, I'm pretending, but that that's me, right? This is me trying to maintain being me in this culture with my friends. Yeah. It's a mess. It's a mess. (laughs) Okay. Well, I, I I can even sort of relate to that because a lot Mm. of I, I see. It's just it's, it's weird, and I'm not sure if maybe you can relate to this too. Where it's like I have a a slightly more, I don't know. It's it's like I I in, in my relationship with faith, it was like okay, I realized some of the things about my tradition specifically were were mixed up. We they, we got kind mm-hmm. of taken over by a certain cultural movement, and it became about how to sell a, a message and 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 things that that were not central became central or things that just weren't even true at all became, you know, core tenets of the faith. And it's like, okay. So I, I have this sense of like, okay, Christianity is still this deep, beautiful thing to me. I just don't understand it very well. And I'm like continuing to sort of get to know it. And so like, I, I, 
a lot of the language that I grew up using became sort of uncomfortable to me, but I felt like I had a, a sense of like, okay, in order to sort of compassionately engage with with my peers and my community, I need to try to sort through that language and try to figure out how much of it I, I can I can comfortably use and comfortably engage with so that way they still feel like this sense of connection that like I value I value our tradition, our shared tradition to a certain level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. That is really interesting. So what's your what's your connection now like how how do you strike that balance and and still kind of use that same language and show that you value those relationships and those traditions even though you're not in the same way involved physically or emotionally in it i mean i'm not involved same way physically partially just because you know you can't be involved in a church physically right now anyways i That's true. i've been That's kind true. of <laughs> sort of reinvestigating and, and rethinking how it is that I that I can engage with my faith for the past maybe four years or so. And mm-hmm. I I had experimented with going to different churches at this point. I'm not really sure. I mean I, I, I would I would like to be part of a church community. I would like to find a community mm-hmm. where I f- really feel like I can I mean partly the problem is just like trying to theologically mesh with people a little bit. But as far as like uh you know trying to relate to my family, especially because my family is, is deeply like in ministry. I mean, I shared with you a little bit on your podcast that like, that's a couple generations worth of like my grandparents, my great grandparents, everybody Mm -hmm. was, was doing this Christian ministry thing. And so like, it's deeply part of, especially my mom's side of the family and my my dad's side too. Like everybody, uh, they they were slightly different denomination. They were Dutch reformed, but it's like Hmm. everybody around in my family is, is Christian in some, some form and I mean, in general, there's a lot of just cultural Christianity. And so it's like, how do I, mm-hmm. how do I not just be a dick and say, oh, that's, that's all dumb. Like, to the, because there are some even things that I'm like, oh, I, I do actually think that's kind of dumb. <laughs> but like with, with right. my family, it's like, I'm not going to interrupt when my dad says, hey, let's, let's pray for a meal. I, I think there's something meaningful about that. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. pray in the same way or even certainly believe the same things about prayer as as certain members of my community do i i like it's like i look at prayer as like okay this is this really ancient tradition that's like been meaningful to to people for literally thousands of years i don't know what it does exactly or why it's meaningful mm-hmm. but I, I i even feel a sense of like of it, it sort of changing me and like I don't, I don't know exactly what it does it's like it's it's this it's this sort of ritual thing. So it's like, I do it and it, and, but it's like, I approach it slightly differently, but I don't like try yeah. to just s- skip people up when they get into it, in, into something that I don't quite agree with. Because again, I got to have this impression that like, I don't, I don't exactly know what any of this is about. I just have a sense that like, there's something meaningful here. And like, maybe you're, you're seeing something from a perspective that I'm not. And there is, and you're, you know, you're, you're seeing an angle of even something that's true that I just, I just don't get. Right. That's interesting. And, what you're saying about prayer, about it being a ritual, yeah, I think I think that's big. And I grew up in, in my family, we said if prayer before every single meal, and we said prayer in the morning and prayer in the evening, mm-hmm. right? And we read scriptures together as a family every day. And, you know, like these rituals were a, a huge part of m- my life. And so then I think, how will I include similar rituals that create a, a similar effect, mm-hmm. right? But maybe detached from the the mystical aspect well, see, of it. The key right? there, though, is like when you, whenever, and this is what I'm still not exactly sure how to approach, is that whenever you sort of, you want to try and strip away the mystical elements of something, you distill it down to what you understand to be important about it. 
Right. And so right. you potentially miss out on however much i mean maybe you miss out on the the whole point of what it was there it's like mm-hmm. and i i don't i mean everybody sort of does this every even traditions sort of do this everything every, to mm-hmm. the extent that you codify something you you exclude everything else that it could be but it's like right i don't know the, my, i guess my sort of rule of thumb that I, I i try to use it's it's a very loose rule but just like the older and the more the longer a tradition has like been a meaningful part of different communities the more I'm willing to sort of take that that ritual seriously and like just try to, hmm. I don't know. So like I, I really love playing praying the Lord's Prayer. It's like that's okay. I I I, I can interest see some interesting things from sort of a poetic perspective. I yeah, but I I, I don't know I don't know what it what it is that's happening. I mean I I, I even have a, this. I mean you talked about this sort of warm fuzzies. I I I've, I mm-hmm. it's it's weirder for me to unpack my experience because I've was part of some very very like hyper charismatic tradition where like mm-hmm. that was a huge part of it and we didn't have to lie because a lot of us really felt these very overwhelming ecstatic almost psychedelic experiences of like jumping together and singing together and crying and weeping on the fl- and like and praying for each other there was like very energetic very exciting very emotional mm-hmm. and like I don't know what all that was about <laughs> I mean it's the same feeling you get when you go to a concert I had a buddy tell me once he said I feel the spirit when I go to raves. Yeah. He says, that's where I feel God. Yeah. And he's an active every Sunday Mormon, but he, he added, he said, he said, I go to raves and I, I feel the Holy ghost, you know, <laughs> and I cry and it, you know, and I think it's, it's that communal aspect, right? It's the same thing, even sitting, watching Endgame, right? Right. Where spoilers, when, when Cap gets the <laughs> hammer, right? Yeah. And he's Everyone like, Everyone cheers. Assemble everybody cheers and you feel like yeah. I felt that same right. feeling of like the warm and fuzzies right. where it's like yes I we're winning I am here yeah. with my team I'm here with people yeah. who understand me and love me and appreciate the things that I appreciate and yeah. care about and you know it's the same as singing in a choir right yeah. or even just listening to good music right or, you know whatever it is there are so many things that bring that and and so I I think. You know, the ritual changes the way that we find those feelings change. Mm-hmm. The music we use changes. The words we use change. Uh, but it's all kind of in service of this communal feeling, yeah. I think. Well, right? the, and it's like the, the, the sort of religious question is like, wh- what is that all about? Where, where is that? Is that like directionally, is that going somewhere? Is it like maybe right. maybe there's even a sense of like a feeling... I don't know if this is sounding getting new agey. I'm not even sure where my thoughts are going when mm-hmm. I when I think about this. Is just like okay, maybe everybody and everything can somehow come together like that in in, in some sense, or like maybe that's, or at least mm-hmm. that would be the extreme version. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that would look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is, I mean, so I I, I think those feelings are really beneficial. And I know a lot of people when they do like shrimps and stuff, they get that feeling, yeah. right? Yeah. And and I I. I just, I don't think that it's exclusive to religion and I don't, yeah, they don't have a monopoly on it. And Mormonism more than any other religion, I think, claims to have that monopoly. Yeah. Well, so another thing I wanted to ask you about is what, what the first moment was, like, what was the first, like, straw that kind of started the journey of, okay, I need to figure out what's going on here. Like the first thing that just... 
I don't know, did you, did you have sort of an eerie moment where like things started to fall apart a little bit? Yeah, I did actually. And uh, so most people will be familiar with Mormons or the LDS people um, based on missionaries, right. right? You see the missionaries, they have the name tag that says elder or sister so-and-so yeah. and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they go around big smiles, giving out Book of Mormons and you know, telling you they've got the, the message of the restored church for you. Well, I went out for lessons with them. I never went on a mission myself because I didn't feel like my testimony was strong enough that I could go out and tell mm. people to believe what I believed, right? And, uh, and so I'd go out with the missionaries locally, though, and teach lessons with them to people investigating the church for interested in it for whatever reason. And so we teach this lesson to this one guy, and he, during the lesson, he says, yeah, I've been kind of into Scientology lately. Hmm. And I think, oh, no, you know, like, this is going to be super awkward and weird. And then this young sister missionary, who I'm still friends with, she she was brand new. It was her first week on her mission. And she says, oh, really? What's that? Tell me about that. Oh, man. And I'm like, oh, like this is going to go off the rails. We're not going to get like our message in about Jesus and the gospel and blah, 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 right? But I was like, okay. And then he tells her all about it. And I could tell the look on her face. She was having such a hard time not laughing because it's ridiculous right. right well after the lesson we we leave and we're kind of walking down his driveway and and headed to our cars and i'm like i'll explain a little bit more what scientology is right because he just explained he he was very vague was just like spaceship's gonna come and save all of us blah 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 right and i said let me explain a little bit more about the origins of Scientology. And I'm like, L. Ron Hubbard, you know, right. started this thing. He wrote a book. He claimed it was true, blah, 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 whatever, right? And uh, and then the sister missionaries say, what? That's crazy. And they laugh. They're like, how could somebody believe that? And I was like, well, I mean, we believe that a guy 2,000 years ago, you know, died so that we could be forgiven of a vague amount of things and also so that he could understand how we feel for something. And then, you know, in the 1800s, Joseph Smith, you know, restored it and, and brought back that truth. And I was like, well, you know, it's all kind of ridiculous. And it was in that moment that just, I was like, <laughs> you did this. It's all kind of ridiculous. Auto anti-apologetics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just like in that moment, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> just as you're what? walking through. So there's a guy and he writes a book and he gets everybody to believe it. And then he takes their money. Wait a second. This is really fishy. Suddenly he has yeah. a whole bunch of wives. Right, right, <laughs> right. And like, I was like, wait a second. Right, like it's just as ridiculous a story, right? And, and you know, and so I say, I say, I think, okay. I got to, you know, take take a moment here and I start kind of thinking about it and start looking for things in Mormonism that actually do make sense. And they only made sense because I already accepted that the Book of Mormon was true, mm -hmm. right? And and so 
I, I was thinking through it. One of the things uh, missionaries will, will tell people is, well, you pray about the Book of Mormon, and if the Book of Mormon is true, that means Joseph Smith was a prophet. And if Joseph Smith was a prophet, that means the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is Jesus's restored church on the earth today. And I think, well, that doesn't really follow. If you pray about the Book of Mormon, you get a good feeling about it. I mean, you could do that with any book, mm -hmm. and a lot of them get a good feeling about it. But you do that with the Book of Mormon. Okay, let's say it is true. Joseph Smith is a prophet. There are a lot of religions, like we were talking about at the beginning. There's a lot of sects, a lot of denominations of Mormonism that also believe that. And so I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And I just kind of went through systematically. And then at one point I just said, I don't care if it's true. I'm going to live it anyways. I'm going to stay in anyways. I'm going to get married in the temple anyways. I'm going to wow. do it all anyways. So you never talked to anybody about this? True. Like, Never. Oh, I never, wow. I never did. You just had, a, like, you, you knew that, that this game's over if, if, I talk, if I tell anybody I'm thinking these thoughts. Yeah, yeah. And I think the most I ever said, I had a couple friends who I, I told, I was like, yeah, I don't really care if it's true or not. I just kind of said, it doesn't matter to me if it's true or not. It's good. Wow. That's what I said. Yeah. Which being out of it now, it's like, that's crazy. Hmm. Uh, but in the moment, it, well, it made sense. That was my social structure. That was my life. I mean, I'm interested to, to explore that for a second. So it doesn't matter if it's true. It's good. Mm -hmm. Like in the context of your community and your relationships and like your ability to have like your own life. I mean, at this point you were how old, like 15, 16? No, oh. I was I th 22. I think, well, I think at that point I was 21. Okay. Yeah. 21, maybe 22. So you, had you started, were you living on your own? Were you still living with family? Yeah. I, yeah, I was moved out. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. I'm just thinking about like to, to the extent that you have like it's like if you don't want to sort of chop all of your relationships out at once, and like mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I, I think about so many communities. Like I don't know. Like there, there's there's hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of religions that have sort of developed throughout the different just historically. Yeah. It's like oh, would yeah. it have been better for people in those communities to just say? Mm, this is actually not true and I'm not going to participate in my community anymore because it, like they didn't get it sort of as right as they should have. Right. Yeah. That, that'd be detrimental to your survival as, as an animal, right? right? Yeah. Like <laughs> it, it's over, right? If, if I was stuck in my community and that's all I had, you bet I'd go to my grave believing it because suddenly job opportunities, right? The, the love of my family, I'd always, you know, Oh, he's struggling right? Yeah. It, it's only because I live in a broader community and have podcast friends now and other people that I can look to and rely on and help and strengthen, you know, that then I can really feel like, okay, I can, I can leave this behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's a really difficult problem. To, it's, it's a conundrum. It's a real conundrum to try yeah. to, try to oh, weigh yeah. out, okay, what should I do here? And like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know, I, I can't, obviously point at you and say like oh you should have you should have just should have just gone for it in that moment it's like that right that, right I, I don't know so, so but when when was the moment where you really started to i mean you said you started to talk to some more people kind of at the were the fringes of the mormon community was there a, a, kind of some theological points that i mean you already pointed to that like your the core is that okay, you have to believe that joseph smith is a prophet and you believe that because of 
the Book of Mormon or because he translated it. I mean, it seems like there's kind of a circular thing there, but like, as long as you have a yeah, good feeling oh, about totally one of them, you can kind of get the ball rolling. Yep, yeah, that's exactly right. You just have to, it's all good feelings. All <laughs> it's good feelings all the way down. I, well, I, that, that, I was thinking about that a little bit because I, I had two, well, I mean, this past week anyways, just reading through this book, I had last night where I was just like, I, I even had dreams about these stories because I was just, I was really thinking about, about this, this book and these stories. And I was just like, every step of the way, I was like, okay, why doesn't that feel right to me? Is this just me doing this kind of thing where I want to sort of put down another religion so that way I feel more justified in believing what I believe? Mm. Or is there something that doesn't really doesn't make sense about that? So I was eager to like do some Googling around and find, oh yeah, there's a lot of really, like, I mean, I, I was, Notice some kind of strangely anachronistic things like where, where, you know, they talk about having windows in the barges and like, wait, mm-hmm. windows? Who, who would have known about windows in like a thousand yeah. BC? That doesn't make sense. Also, these barges that... that yeah, they managed to the make them so tight. Jared, that, <laughs> tight like unto a yeah, dish. I, they say that so many times, like unto a dish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's what Mormons say when you're like really close with somebody, when you're oh, like, like best friends. A dish. Like, we are... <laughs> Tight like onto a dish. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. There's there's like a whole why, whole bunch why of is it onto a dish? Like what? I don't see the comparison there because you hold soup in it, right? Like the soup doesn't fall yeah, out. Yeah, but of the it's dish. not because that's it's airtight. The, that's the idea. It's just that right, right. It, but it's like the structure of it, right? Tight like onto a dish. It's it's waterproof. <laughs> it contains it contains something, right? That's that's what they. But yeah, not only this, like they, they dish, make it man. tight. And then they make holes in it just in case they need to get some more air. And so, like, they're going to ha- – <laughs> like, this has to be some either right, really good except- engineering. I mean, I don't, I don't think yeah. you could do like, – you, you, I don't think you could do they, that with They wood. poke a hole in the top. They poke a hole in the top and a hole in the bottom. Yeah. And the idea is that it can roll over, yeah. right? Except you're pooping in there, yeah. right? And it's like a six-month journey. Yeah. You're just like yeah, it's a hundred in, in these no, th- barges. three hundred something days. It's almost a year. Something, yeah. And then you've got you've got honeybees in there. Like you're carrying other like plants and animals and livestock and stuff in there. What? Yeah. So, uh, like pointing at that stuff, it is it's the like wackiest. Well, so how how, how did you think about that when? when you were, you know, when you were still in this and like how people within your community, do people get caught up on stuff like that? Or they're just kind of like, you know, the Lord did something miraculous. Yep. It's all miracles. Mm-hmm. It's all like, you don't, you don't think like, Oh, wait a second. The, like, this doesn't make any sense. Oh, and that doesn't make any sense. Oh, and there was already natives there. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they did DNA studies on native Americans. And they don't match up to anybody and, from like, Israel. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, the, and hmm. I, I, wow, that's interesting. I also thought, like I, when I was reading, I was like, okay, so there, the things popped up for me. Okay, there's got to be archaeological problems here. There's got to be uh, DNA problems. Th- there's got to yeah. be linguistics problems. And then Ton- so many linguistic problems. Well, I mean, my wife studied <laughs> linguistics um, in in Montreal, so she has her degree, and so I, I got oh, to cool. like. I know nothing about linguistics. If she watches this, I want I want you to know, Angie. I'm not claiming that I know anything about linguistics, <laughs> but at least hearing her talk about this stuff sometimes, and I got to attend a few classes. It made me interested, so I started doing a lot more googling whenever I saw an interesting word and like reading etymologies and stuff like that. And so I've mm-hmm. at least have a little bit of a gr- okay. Yeah, I, I'm saying that I at least have a, a tiny bit of a grasp on like how linguistics works and how languages evolve a little bit. 
Yeah. But, yeah. And I was just like, okay, so the, I, I just noticed all these different phrases that didn't seem to sort of make sense. And then also I noticed all the names. He made up all these, all these interesting names. I'm like, those don't sound... I mean, some of them are just straight up just lifted from the Old Testament, but a lot of those don't sound very Hebrew. And yeah. I think you would be able to translate them back into like a Hebrew dialect and figure out what the names meant. And like when I look at the, uh, you know, the Hebrew text, like you're able to on the Internet, you can go to this website, Blue Letter Bible, and you can look at the Old Testament okay. and you can see the original languages and you can do word studies on, on, you know, on the ancient languages and stuff like this. And it's not just, it's not. There's not this kind of closed off room where there's the there's the Christian scholars and then there's the other historical scholars. It's like everybody uses the Old Testament as like an important text for talking about studying ancient Hebrew and stuff like that. Right, right. Yeah, because it was, yeah, like the Bible has historical context, right? Like some of the things in the Bible are, actually happened. Right. Some of the things sort of happen, yeah. <laughs> and then some of them are stories right. passed yeah. down, right? But then the Book of Mormon it's, is written on this, like, it all happened. Well, that's, that's the know? thing I noticed. Is I was like, okay, this is, this is whole thing is written based on some really um, kind of very characteristic of 1800s, 1900s Protestantism understandings of, of mm-hmm. how to read the Bible. And like, this is not the way people read the Bible today. We, we know this isn't the way the Bible is written. And this is, this is not what the Bible is trying to get at. Like the Bible isn't written right. to be a, a 2000s um, historical document for us to like look at and kind of read information the way we would have written it down. It's like we're studying ancient cultures every time you're looking at a different book and different different intentions for how how you would write down events and how you'd write down stories and what they thought was important and like so like you, you get so many numbers that are way off because of having sort of poetic or like numerological significance and so many days mm-hmm. and so many people's like like the story of david and, and goliath like the originally i think that the the there's, there's an actual um giant that was killed by somebody i think i forget what his name is but it, that wasn't a, like the the historical king David did not kill a giant before he became king. There was another guy, right. and that story was like cool. So they kind of plugged it into the David story because, like, okay, we we want we're t- talking about being kingly. Here's a kingly story. Right, right, exactly. Like it gets mixed together. And one of the things, so the Book of Mormon. I mean, there's so so many issues with it. But one of the things, the Book of Mormon quotes directly from the Book of Isaiah. So the way the story goes, Lehi, Nephi, and their whole family brought over the Bible, right? Like they, they took the Bible written on plates from Israel, and they took it to the Americas with them, right? So somewhere, there, there is somewhere, according to Mormonism, somewhere on the American continents, there is a Hebrew Bible written on plates that is somewhere out there to be found, you know, so, you know, go, go looking, go, you know, get out there, do your, do your digs. But they, uh, he, Nephi quoted, they left Jerusalem in 600 BC, right? right? Nephi quotes a bunch of Isaiah, like a huge block of Isaiah, right? Apparently the general understanding is that Isaiah was written in two time periods and there's a huge portion of Isaiah that is quoted in the Book of Mormon that was supposedly, according to historians and archaeologists and such, this portion of Isaiah was written after Nephi 
supposedly left right. Jerusalem. So it like doesn't even make sense that they would be quoting that that portion of Isaiah. Like it doesn't even make sense. Right. Well, it's like so much of this sort of makes sense given, okay, if you're living in the 1800s and nobody has access to the internet, like I could see right. why I would buy into this, especially if my community was like, okay, this is, you know, God has spoken to us. It, it, I don't there, right. this It's exciting. Tom it's Holland movie that I watched last year, uh, and it was so unnerving to watch because it was like, it was this kind of cr- creepy religious stuff where I'm trying to remember what the name of it was. The Devil All the Time. Have you seen that movie? Okay. No. Maybe watch it. Maybe don't. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. maybe. It made me feel like super uncomfortable, but I really liked it. But it was like this, there was a lot of these kind of really fiery preachers. It was like set in the time of the 1800s. It wasn't about Mormonism. It was about like just Protestantism during that time or just like some people who like were, were generally religious during that time. There's so much like these... I don't know. It's just because looking at Protestantism at that time, it was like suddenly a lot of the institutional Christianity had broken down and it became this new uh, free market of like who could who could pitch mm-hmm. the best, most exciting version of religion. And so there's like almost like people traveling around like showmen, like doing miracles and like sh- like putting dangerous poisonous things on them and, and showing the Lord's um, favor on them that they won't kill them. And mm-hmm. Oh, man, I'm going to spoil this for you, but maybe it'll make you, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> In the movie, there's this one guy who's like really trying to like exercise his faith and he kills his wife so that way he can resurrect her from the dead. Oh, it is such a horrifying sequence, man. Yeah. And it just, it, it makes cow. you take, take such a hard look at yourself and, and any religious sense of, of like identification and like, okay, is how comfortable am I with, with the things that I'm believing? And are any of them leading to that? <laughs> right, right, right. And it's like, if, if God told you to kill somebody, would you, would you do it? Right? That's right. the question. <laughs> and it's like, some people are like, um, well, yeah, it's God telling me to do it. It's like, how do you know it's God? Right? right? Oh, I well, you know, I know what it feels like, right? Okay, but... What if what if somebody else has that feeling too? Yeah. Oh well, they're they're not really speaking yeah. to God. I I'm speaking to God though. I know I'm speaking to God. They're they're not. They're wrong, right? It's that whole like I'm right, you're wrong, even though we're basing it on the exact same evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it makes people do awful, crazy things. And that that right? was one of the scariest moments I had when I was in Bible school. Is that somebody. My, my roommate had started meeting with some Mormons and was chatting with them about their faith. And mm-hmm. he was like, he had it in mind to like try to, to prove to them that they were wrong and, and try to convert them or something mm-hmm. like that. And he got to this point where, you know, he's asking like, why is it that you believe, why is it that you believe that this book is true? Why is it that you believe in Joseph Smith is, is a true prophet? And they talked about that just feeling of like, of like you it's it's confirmed in our spirit. We prayed and and we really feel that you know that this book is true and that Joseph Smith is a true prophet. And then I had this right. moment of like, okay, I was eighteen, seventeen, eighteen at the time, mm-hmm. and I had, wait, why, why do I believe any? Why do I believe in the Bible? Isn't that isn't that the reason we're supposed to believe in? in it's just, it's just in here, right? You just God confirms mm-hmm. it for you, right? And mm-hmm. as soon like it 
something clicked that day and I was an atheist for at least two or three days. I forget what, what it was that brought me back that I felt like I could, I could truthfully sort of say I was a Christian again. But like when I, I just had that moment of like, Oh crap. No, I, I think it was that we went to some like theological seminars. S- somebody said something that made enough sense to me that I was like, okay, I can at least maybe I can get behind that. I don't know what it was though. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And there, that's why you meet together, right? That's why you come every Sunday. That's why in Mormonism, it is so imperative that you show up every single Sunday because you have to reaffirm that faith with everybody else, right? You have to reaffirm that this is my community. Everybody else in my community believes it. So I better too. Hmm. Beyond just like the simple, okay, I don't think that the Book of Mormon is, is a real, you know, historical book or anything like that or like seeing it as sort of a hoax do you like digging a little deeper into sort of mormon theology or like philosophy of life Mm -hmm. what how do you like see your life differently or like want to live your life differently than like are are there some like serious values problems you have with the way mormonism works that's a good question um generally i i still live by the same values um I still don't drink coffee. I just don't imagine I'd enjoy it. Um, also, I know caffeine doesn't sit well with me. So, I mean, that's a thing too. Still, I think alcohol smells disgusting. So, still never had that. Like, you know, so like as far as values, like the lifestyle, I I still basically live that. Um, but then other other values, I don't know. Like the the things Mormons really hold important, like the the whole uh, there there's a document in mormonism called the family a proclamation to the world and it is it's basically there's male and female we're meant to be together you know this is god's way this is the only way that kind of thing um yeah i totally disregard that i'm like be with who you want like if that's making you happy who cares right like why is that my business right? Um, Yeah, I think being nice to people, that's something Mormon church teaches. That's the thing, is that the the good things about Mormonism are not even kind of sort of unique, right? The good things about Mormonism is like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's nice. Every, like everybody can get behind not killing, right? Like, (laughs) I feel like, you know, there's some pretty simple truths there, right? But every parent teaches their child that, whether they believe in God or believe in a different God or don't believe in God at all, right? It's kind of, I don't know. So I, I take all the good stuff, which is the good stuff everybody also has. Right. So. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think that's probably, I, I think to people who still appreciate faith, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to put that on you. I, I haven't asked you about that and I want to hold off on that question yet. But mm-hmm. like, as far as like practicing any, any sort of faith tradition, I, I think you have to really pay attention to balancing those things. Like you, you can't, you mm-hmm. can't just sort of take all of your values from one totally disconnected place in your life where it's like, okay, everything about the way I live comes just from reading this list of rules. Because for one thing, even mm-hmm. if, even if you're, if you had sort of a, a like, some people's experience with the Bible is they feel like it's a list of just like a guide for how to live your life. Mm-hmm. If you are trying to interpret, especially a really ancient text like that yourself, yeah, just by yourself, you're, you're going to, I mean, this is the whole, I think 
one of the biggest problems that evangelicalism and Protestantism in general has sort of struggled with is that there's such an emphasis on sort of the personal relationship with Scripture, where it's like, okay, I'm going to figure out what this means. It's like, okay, I I don't know how qualified everybody even is to sort of read the Bible. (laughs) Right. But like, right, exactly. Like, it's it's a big piece of literature, right? And so, so like, I, I think it's I think it's cool. I think it's great actually to have an experience trying to read the Bible, but there needs to it needs to be. I don't think of religion as, again, like, I, I thought it was interesting that you talked about how religion is, like, in your life, it was, like, every day of the week. I think of it that way, too, mm-hmm. but I don't think that it's, like, every day of the week has to, you know, in order for it to be religious, it has to be a planned religious event within the Christian, or within the sort of church institution. I, I think of religion, mm-hmm. especially historically, like, looking at so many different religions that have developed, is, like, religion is just part, it's just the pattern of your life. Right, and so mm-hmm. it, it should sort of right, like, right, right. to some extent, if, if you if you are participating in a religion, it should just be your life, and so an extension of that thinking would be that okay, so that doesn't mean that the way you you derive your values is from one specific part of your life. It actually is going to be a, a huge conversation of every every faculty you have available to you. You're going to have conversations, mm-hmm. and that's going to feed back into your understanding of what's what's good and what's valuable to pursue. You're going to listen to music, right. and something, so music is going to be moving to you, and it's like, that's going to reshape a little bit about your values, about what is beautiful and what is worth pursuing. You're going to talk to smart people who are good at lecturing or good at teaching, and it's like, that's going to feed back in there. You're going to have experiences where you read something really meaningful. It might be in the Bible. It might be in other religious books. It might just be a philosophy. It might be whatever. Might, might be Harry Potter. And that's going to feed back again mm-hmm. into, it's like, if, if you take all of your values just from one place, you're, you're playing a really, really risky game because you have no sort of fail-safe. Nothing's feeding back into that system. And it's just like, if there's an error there, mm-hmm. it's going to really play out in a bad way because you have no, nobody, nothing in your life to sort of call it out or, or buffet some of the mistakes you're making. Right, right. And it, it is interesting talking about where religion fits in, in your life. And I really think, like, I took it seriously, yeah. right? It was everything. Like I mentioned, I, you know, for years, I just only listened to church music, right? I took it so seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if you don't, like, what are, what are you doing, right? If this is eternity yeah. you're talking about, if this is, especially in the Mormon faith, if this is your ticket into heaven or not, what are you doing, you know, oh, take it easy, relax a little bit, right? How can I relax on the most important thing in the universe, yeah, exactly. right? And yeah, and so, yeah, it was, it was my whole lifestyle. That was, that was it. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, you're at a, a new, you're at a different place now in life. And mm-hmm. you're, do you have any sense of a, of a, an affinity for religion? Do you, do you have any, it's just like that. That's something that's behind me. Yeah, yeah. I think I appreciate religion. I'm fascinated by religion, right? I think it is this this huge part of culture and of history and of people's real lived experiences right now, right? Uh, so I don't. I don't think religion doesn't matter, right? Um, I think people take it way too seriously and way too far. Mm. And, and I really think it is far better being looked at as, it's an interesting story. What does that mean to me? Right. Right. Um, I think, I think that's far more important. Organized religion, I have more of a problem with. And, 
evangelizing, I am anti-evangelizing. Yeah. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> that I'm I'm really glad that's important to you, but you know what? The like evangelism, believing that you have the truth and that you and it is your God-given duty and responsibility to share the truth, that's how we got residential schools. <sighs> like that that I have a yeah. problem with. Mormon missionaries, I get it, they're brainwashed kids. If they knock on my door, I'll feed them you know, chat with them, whatever. Um, but I, I do not, uh, appreciate what, what they're being made to do. And I want to be really clear about that. They're, they're not going out cause they really, really buy it. They're going out because they've been raised to buy mm -hmm. it. I was there too. You said a second ago, you had, you had a sense like, okay, if this is, if this is eternity, we're talking about, this is the most important thing you, I mean, you have to take this seriously. With that out of the equation, yeah. though, I, I imagine there's still this, like, I mean, that, that sense of, like, wanting to take life seriously and live life sort of truthfully, I don't, that wasn't just the Mormon part of you, I, I assume. That was, that was the real Alex. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I, and I think that's why I took Mormonism seriously, right? Because if this is my life, I'm going to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. That's why with podcasting, yeah. right? I take my podcasts seriously, right? I, I work hard to make something good, right? I put that effort in. And so, yeah, that, that is me, taking it seriously. Not to say that I'm like a, a stick in the mud or anything, right? Well, yeah, so but, what's the difference between know, taking I, it seriously? And I mean, you said you don't, you, you don't like how some people take religion sort of too seriously. But like, I mean, that, that's, a, mm -hmm. that's a problem that can sneak into just about any occupation or any community thing. It's like, how do you... How do you take something seriously without taking it, taking it seriously? Right. I think this is something I've really had to work on <laughs> <laughs> because like I, uh, growing up, I had a lot of anger problems and I would get frustrated. The littlest things would set me off. And so I've worked really hard that, okay, I publish a podcast. Oh, the audio's bad, right? The you know, if I'm interviewing somebody and the quality doesn't come back great, it happens, yeah. right? If I publish it and then there's an issue getting it into Apple Podcasts for whatever reason, like it doesn't pick up in the feed, relax, it happens. Yeah. You know, I take my work seriously. What I can do, what I can control, I take that seriously. Everything else out of my hands, right? It's the serenity prayer. Some people might be familiar with, right? Uh, grant me the, what is it? The, the grace to, I, I know the one you're talking uh, about, but I forget the specific the words. Things I can't control, like basically accepting the things you can't control. And taking responsibility you know, for what you can. Take responsibility for what yeah. you can and be wise enough to know the difference. Right. Oh yeah. That's the last part. Right. Of it. Yeah. And, and that, yeah. I think that's yeah. the, really the key that the part, the part of the prayer that, that I is forgot the is the most important part of it is like there, there is a, it's a really, really, really difficult task to, to actually mm -hmm. discern your responsibility in the world. And like, what is it? Cause like, I mean, you said uh, you're anti evangelism. I, I, I think in, in general, I'm probably with you there, but like, I, I don't, mm. I don't even, depending on how kind of loose I am with the word evangelism, I don't think that there's almost anything you can do. That's not evangelizing a certain set of values because Whenever you're acting, right. you are, that's an expression of what you deem to be valuable and, and the kind of life you think is worth living. And it's like you're evangelizing that to the extent that you're 
not even just talking to people, but just engaging with people, whether or not you bother to look them in the eye, whether or not you open a door, I don't know, like spending time with people, these are all forms of sort of sharing ideas. And I think propositional Mm -hmm. sharing ideas, that's interesting and and good to do sometimes, especially if people are interested in it. But like, there's no getting around sharing ideas. Right. And I I am pro sharing ideas. (laughs) I should be very clear. Like, share your ideas. I think free speech and sharing things is super, super important. The the thing I'm anti is the knock on your door. Hey, just a heads up that you're going to hell model. Yeah, like, <laughs> if oh, you man. don't accept what I'm doing, right? It's the very like you know the manipulative, right? It's the car salesman, yeah. right? The dirty right. car salesman, where it's like, oh, but if you don't buy this new car with these new safety features, your child will die right. in your back seat because your car doesn't have the updated right. features, right? It's that kind it's, of. It's thing, when there's this, like, this hidden motive of trying to get a certain transaction to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it, right, right. Even even if it's sincere, even if you really, really believe like this will be good for you. Say you're a huge Doctor Who fan, right? And you're like, Alex, you need yeah. to watch Doctor Who, right? That's fine. You can tell me to watch Doctor Who. I've watched Doctor Who before. It's fun, yeah. sure. But you coming over and saying, no, no, Alex something really awful is going to happen in your life if you don't watch Doctor Who. Or, oh, your your sister just died? Oh, that's really sad. Um, you know, watching Doctor Who will help that. And not only will it help comfort you, but if you watch Doctor Who, you'll get to see your sister again. And it's like, oh, well, now of course, of course I'll do it. Because your new friends that you made, these really nice young kids who knocked on your door, you trust them, you like them, and if you don't join, you lose those friends, right? There's like all these other things that help to convert you, right? And to, to get you in. It's not just like, oh, that sounds nice. It's, well, don't you love your family? Mm-hmm. Right? That's what I have a problem with. Jeez, yeah. Is, is there like a specific, like, like signing a paper or praying a certain prayer that like when you're like, now you snapped, you're, you're actually confirmed and they've, they've, They've got another soul. Yeah, so uh, you get baptized, okay. and then you have your confirmation. Um, sometimes right after the baptism, sometimes it's like the next day at church in front of the whole congregation, and then it becomes like you, they lay your ha- their hands on your head and give you this blessing and give you the Holy Ghost, and then give and then you. like the whole ward is there, the whole community is there, and sees like, wow, now you're one of us. Welcome to the fold. Right, and so it's this kind of ritual, and yeah, you you sign a paper as well, and you get your name put on the records, and pay ten percent of your money for the rest of your life. Congrats! <laughs> Is there like an auto deposit, like uh, they set it up with your bank account? <laughs> uh, I don't think there's an auto deposit. A, a lot well, of I guess you could probably Christians that I knew you could probably automatically. Growing up, it was like there's a sense of like because the same idea of like tithe. That's a big part of of most iterations of Christianity, most denominations. But a lot of people right. just kind of like don't do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, Mormonism, it's part of that interrogation with oh, the bishop. Oh, okay. That worthiness interview is, are you a full tithe payer? And they can see how much you're, oh, you're paying. Yeah. And they know so whether you're lying you're or not. Nothing, mm-hmm, yeah. But there, there are some, and again, depends on the bishop, there are some Mormons who will pay their 10% to a different charity that they think will do more with it. Pretty much any charity will do more with it than Mormonism. 
Um, and so some people will pay to the charity of their choice and say, yes, I'm a full tithe payer. I choose to pay my tithing mm, okay. to X charity. That is not encouraged. You will never hear that talked about in church, but there are people that do Interesting. that. Okay. Mm-hmm. One thing I noticed earlier this year when I first was trying to, I don't know, for some reason, like I said, I saw an, an ad for Mormonism or mm-hmm. I, I saw an ad for Jesus Christ and I was like, I don't know many Christian mm-hmm. denominations that advertise. This is probably the Mormons. I should. So I, I clicked on it and I ended up going onto like a little chat and I was like, it, it would be really, co- I mean, I, I kind of wondered about this tradition all my life. I, it would be interesting to talk to somebody who's, who's been through this, who, especially somebody who like currently values it. And so I, I mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to talk to a missionary. And so I chatted with for a little while and then they started sending me some emails and then I was like, yeah, so I'm doing this project called This Could Be Interesting where I'm just trying to break down some some barriers between communities and just try to get better at at intercommunal relationships, at, at, at talking to people who have mm. different values than me and, and seeing if I can kind of glean some things from other people's perspective or just get better at listening to people and not sort of right. discarding other people's ideologies. I'd, lo- I'd love to talk to you guys. I'd love to have you on the show. And she's like, oh, actually, there's a rule against uh, missionaries being recorded in public. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh. I mean, I, I guess I kind of get that but that's a little i mean it's a little sad a little bit frustrating and a little bit of like that should be a bit of a red flag (laughs) right right yeah the church has a big pr department um lots of marketing they put a lot of money into it every year but so why do you think it is that they're i mean do they talk about this like why you're not allowed to to be, I mean, how, how far do they take that rule as far as like not being allowed to be recorded? Oh, that's, that's just a missionary thing. Okay. Yeah. And then, I mean, and then of course, any member of the church would, you know, probably make it pretty clear like, oh, I'm just speaking as a Mormon. I'm not speaking for the church. Right. Mm. Like they, they'd probably make that distinction. Um, usually I guess, but there's no like, no, you can't talk to the media thing. Mm. I just, I guess the biggest thing is just like the, the, there's a there's a fundamental values thing there that that doesn't or that that kind of scares me and that like I, I wonder mm-hmm. how you think about it now as far as like well I don't know I, I, I there's talking to people from other communities but then there's just talking to your family anyways and like I talked mm-hmm. to you a little bit I mean as far as how I'm currently trying to to engage with and value the way that the different Christians I know, uh, you know, how they practice the religion. How do you as, you know, I mean, you're not religious at all at this point. How do you still engage with your family? I mean, do you still have a good relationship with your family? Do you have to really walk on eggshells in those conversations or, or what does that look like? Yeah, I'm, I am super lucky. Um, I know a lot of people who leave the church don't have it as, as good as I do. I still chat with my family. I called my mom earlier today and chatted with her for 45 minutes, you know, while she was gardening. And so I still have a really good relationship with my family. Everybody's respectful. Nobody's trying to like, come back to church. Why don't you come to church? You know, every now and then there's, you know, a small remark made and I make a remark back and that's kind of the end of it. You know, like I'm really fortunate, still have a great relationship with everybody in my family. And I'm also lucky because it's it's only my mom, dad, and siblings that 
are members of the church. And, and so, you know, I don't have cousins and uncles and aunts okay. and grandparents who are also, you know, like, oh, that's so sad that Alex went astray, right? It's, it's only my really immediate okay. family. So, so you have other family and that's not, even, not in the church? Yeah, okay. yeah, I do. I'm not, uh, it's not like a huge family. I have a pretty small family, but we're all pretty close. And yeah, so they, they don't care. They're more happy than anything that I figured it out. So <laughs> That's interesting. So, I mean, do you have some hope for sort of the future of, I don't know about the future of the Mormon well, I mean, the, the Mormon Church is those is the people, right? It's not like I mean, there, there's a theological mm-hmm. tradition, but then there's the people actually well, participating in it. And like, wh- where yeah. are those people headed? Do you do you think? I mean, especially with if your family are they a pretty pretty usual Mormons? Like, are, are they're willing to put up or with and respect your choices? Yeah, I I'd, I'd say my family is a little bit more liberal than the average, um, not by a ton. But I, I'd say they're definitely on the more chill, relaxed side of things, especially my siblings are. Um, and and so, yeah, really fortunate. As far as the church itself, now, I know you said the church is the people, but I think the Mormon church is the money in the bank. Mm. Um, they've got over $100 billion in the bank and uh, and billions of dollars in assets. And so... Uh, the Mormon church is huge and I don't think it's going to, you know, stop anytime soon, but there, there are a lot of people who are stopping going and I think people are becoming more nuanced and well, you know, starting to It's piece harder it and harder to kind of hold up, prop up a, a narrative like w- when it's, when it's made up and especially when there's as many kind of different little straws you can poke at and, and, and start feeling like, oh, this doesn't make sense. I mean, in the age of the internet anyways, it's just like there's there's mm-hmm. way too much access to just... This is the thing that I... I, I information. Yeah, it's just there's access to information, but it's like whenever you build an institution based on a lie, eventually that... I mean, this is just this is a common theme in every children's TV show ever. You know, the main character tells a lie, and then somebody asks them something that's sort of kind of related to that lie, so they have to lie again, and and then oh, somebody else, mm-hmm. and then there's like this whole web of lies that gets built up, and then eventually there's just there's no way to prop it up anymore. It's gonna fall down, and I, I, I there's it's my my intuition makes me think that there's there's no way that's not going to happen in some fashion. I mean, I mean it's happening to some extent for smaller people, but I mean. I mean, for, for smaller people, <laughs> for people for, on a smaller scale is what I meant. Mm-hmm. But like that's, if, if it's the case, and I think you and I both believe that this is the case, that, 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 that this book is, was, was made up as a hoax by Joseph Smith, mm-hmm. then sometime this thing's going to come crashing down. Like it has to. Right. But, but that's what you think, right? But these things develop and people believe what they want to believe, whether it makes sense or or not, right? At one point, the support for vaccines was a lot higher than it is today, right? And at one point, the, you know, the acceptance that the earth was round was a lot higher than it is yeah. today, right? And so, so people are still going to believe whatever they want to believe, uh, but what you're saying about the lie getting bigger and bigger is absolutely true. Ironically, the Mormon church put out, I think in the 70s and 80s, these Mormon ads. And they were just like these ads about 
good values and, and stuff. And one of them is this kid, he's got uh, yarn tied around his mouth and he's holding a little piece and the caption says, big lies can start with a little yarn. And and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Joseph was, was telling some uh, stories, and now it's turned into a one hundred plus billion dollar business. Sounds like whoever made that ad might have had a twenty two year old Alex experience of big lies start with wait yeah. wait a second <laughs> wait a second yeah but I yeah just I, one little I thing. saw like even I saw the pictures of that temple in Utah. Have you ever been there? Yeah, yeah, really? I've been there. I haven't been inside that oh, temple, wow. but are there a lot of, of huge buildings like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, not not that big, but they have a lot. Let me look up how many how many Mormon temples. Okay, there are over a hundred and thirty temples. I think there are over one hundred and fifty, and then they've announced. Okay, so there's one hundred and sixty currently operating. Um, and then there's 39 under construction and 45 announced. Like they have a so ton of these really buildings. Expanding. And, oh, they're expanding the buildings, okay. right? Because it, it's 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 marketing, right? You right. put up this big fancy building in a neighborhood, and people, well, what's that? What's that? Hmm. Right? And it gives the illusion of growth. The church is not. Yeah, do you know what the numbers are? Are, are, the, the are there Earth's population is there even a, Are the numbers going up even at, by a small amount? Do you know? There. So the numbers the the numbers themselves are going up relative to Earth's population growth. Though it's going down, and those also don't account for people who just said, "You know what? I'm not going to go anymore." Because their name is still those on people the, are on still the counted or whatever. If if your name's on the records, Once you're still saved, going. Saved. And it's estimated the church has like a thirty percent activity rate. Okay. So they they claim sixteen million people, but about thirty percent of those people are all that show up. So I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, with know, what you're telling me here, it, it just it sounds like we're we're at those. We're, it sounds like we're in the last days, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's it's big though, right? Like if it's just big, when big you have empty that much buildings, money, I mean that's that's going to be the weird thing. Is yeah, that, like okay, so if this tradition ever does just like kind of totally peter out, and like some mm-hmm. maybe there's just a whole bunch of money left, or somebody decides, I don't know. Like, I I would wonder. I mean, if if the people sort of in leadership kind of had a had a a moment of oh crap, we need to. We need to figure this out because isn't that somewhat what happened with the sort of the splitting off of the other uh, denomination? I forget what they're called. The um, there's community there's the of FLDS Christ. and the RLDS community of Christ is community of Christ yeah. is, is quite yeah. a bit more liberal. They'll have they'll have women um, who are in leadership. They're yeah. not um, against uh, gay marriage. A couple other things like yeah. that. They're a lot more chill. On like every level, I don't even think that they claim the Book of Mormon to be a historical document okay. anymore. I think I think they even say like it was written by Joseph Smith, you know, and Oliver Cowdery and whoever else might have contributed. See, I would be interested to talk to to some, especially like a theologian in that community, because I would I would imagine. See, this is the weird thing is that I'm like wondering, like, just when you get in this sort of mode to write. You know, okay, you're thinking about biblical literature, and you want to write that sort of a story. If there's almost something that's like mm-hmm. a primal 
sense of like the way things are that takes over a little bit. And like, even if you're just sort of trying to bullshit and just write a story that sounds biblical, you might sort of accidentally tap into, <laughs> I don't know how I, I right. just was thinking about that the other day. It's like, I, 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 people have been sort of looking at these stories and discussing them. I, I watched like a podcast of some different like guys, like, I don't know, higher up in, in Mormon leadership, just talking about these stories and pulling stuff out of them that I'm like, that's interesting that you, you got that kind of values. I don't know. You, you pulled something interesting out of that story that yeah. seemed pretty, pretty <laughs> bland and, and strange to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. You can, you can find stuff in anything. That's the like, weird thing. <laughs> Mormonism, Mormonism more than any other religion I bet teaches you how to be at yeah. <laughs> like just all the way through life. But what's the difference between like straight up, BSing and and sort of having a prompt and just sort of creatively running with it and like like I I think like you you can you can just bullshit as when you're trying to sort of like if you have a, uh, an agenda that that's the kind of bullshitting I'm really I, I think is the problem but if like if somebody just says like hey here's a story talk about it for a little bit and you're just like okay well I guess I'm going to talk about it that's like that's that's something different that's like improv and and improv is a really weird sort of I don't know. It's like a weird sort of truthful way of just like, it's like you're not trying to say something true and it's like because you're not trying something, something more, I don't know, something that's, that's a part of you anyway sort of comes out because you're not as inhibited. Right, right. So maybe, maybe Mormons are good at improv. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, I, I do think that they're, we're, we're taught, you know, how to teach lessons and stuff and usually you don't prepare anything. <laughs> Right. You know, like you're supposed to, but you show up and you just kind of ramble on until something intelligent comes out. I didn't prepare for this podcast at all. Like this whole time, I'm just like, oh, you ask a question. Right. Let me, you know, pull out something that I have in my head. Right. It's the same. It's the same thing. Right. We're we're just taught the words that you use. Right. There's, right? there's a really a language how to, how to do that. Too. Yes, there is a huge like. Language, gotta get those culture. these and thous and whencey canes. <laughs> oh, brother! And it came. Oh, to oh pass my God! There's and... so many, and it came to passes. I know. Uh, that was <laughs> when I was like, okay, this guy's just trying to fill space in. Like, stop saying and it came. I know and it the, came to pass. The... All this came to pass, according to you. Yeah, and the best part is everybody in Mormonism. Like, you're yeah. raised to think like. There's no way Joseph Smith could have ever written this because it's such an inspired right. and incredible work of literature. And you you always think that growing up. And then when you leave, you're like, eh, it wasn't that impressive. <laughs> like, I'd rather read Old Man in the Sea. Wait, wait, what's that book? It's uh, by Ernest Hemingway, okay. and I hate it. It's uh, It won him... The, I think it was the Nobel Prize or some some award, some big award that I don't think he deserved for that book. I thought it was garbage. I didn't enjoy it at all, but I guess somebody did. Well, see, the that's the other part written. of, so, of just reading, like just the problem of literature in general is that like so many people, I feel like I don't, I, I've been trying to read more this past year, past year or two. And like realizing there's there's actually such a huge sort of difficulty curve of like learning how to read. Like there's learning how to read, but then there's learning how to mm -hmm. actually engage difficult material. And like that's right. not something that just like just anybody can do. And, and it, when I think about especially like looking at 
I, I'm finding so much appreciation for all these other sort of different religious traditions, like looking at, especially looking at a lot of old mythology, like Norse mythology, Greek mythology, Mesopotamian mythology. These are like, mm-hmm. on surface level, sometimes they're sort of interesting, sometimes they're just straight up weird, but like trying to like actually dig into those stories and find something like, find something deep there. It's like that that takes that right. takes expertise, that takes time, that takes imaginative abilities, it takes... Sometimes mm-hmm. historical. No- I mean, it probably should take more historical knowledge than than, <laughs> than what I bring into the table. But like, right, it's, right. It's interesting to. I'm not really sure where I was going with that. I, I guess I was just. I'm just thinking about that. Like, but reading and really digging into it and understanding what you're reading and appreciating what you're reading as well. Maybe that's my problem with Old Man and the Sea. Maybe there's some historical context that I'm right. not understanding or or something. Right. But me, as a reader, I did not enjoy it at all. There are other classics that I love, right? And there are other books that I love and other things that I get out of those. And maybe somebody else gets something right. else out well, that, of it, right? I guess that's and what I was thinking about is that there's a lot of interesting. sort of critically claimed to be great literature that I wouldn't understand mm-hmm. to be. So it's like it's interesting looking at looking at the Book of Mormon and looking at other religious texts. And like as a person who's like not an expert in in old literature there's there's in some ways i can i can kind of point to some key differences but like i'm such a a lay person it's like in order to really be Mm -hmm. able to tell whether or not one's a great work of literature and another one's not it's like it's like i'm not even qualified to make that claim right 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 but you can still say whether or not you enjoyed it That's subjective. I mean, the whole time I was trying to read the Book of Mormon, I was like, okay, I got to get through this. Not because it was like I, I, I could try to psych myself up and think, okay, maybe there's actually something really interesting there. But after after getting through a little bit of it, it was like, okay, this doesn't actually feel that well written. But I, I want to get through it because I care about engaging with Alex's story. I want to tap into this little mm-hmm. little moment that he had and be able to talk about this with him because... Well, I mean, because th- this relationship at least would be more important to me than than whatever Joseph Smith has to teach me. <laughs> right, 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 right. But the book is a snooze fest, so I appreciate you 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 putting forth your your best effort to to go through that because yeah, it, it's not it's not like a fun, engaging read at all. There, there was there was some fun moments at least at least no- noticing the strange technologies that were referenced and stuff like that. It was fun when I made a game out of trying to prove that it was wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that feels good. I have thought about like going back through it now cuz before when I went through it, I would mark down, you know, all the parts where it mentions Jesus and and how inspiring that was and blah blah blah. And now I think it would be interesting to go back and me, just as a casual reader, looking and seeing like, that didn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. What is that? Yeah. What's that supposed to mean? You know, and just kind of casually. But I guess I have more context, so I wouldn't be able to just like casually go through it. Yeah, you, you'd be, it you would, know, you'd probably, I'm already familiar. you probably would get sucked into a bit of of just remembering different moments in your life. I, I, I don't see a, a, a version of that story at least going through the whole thing that doesn't end in, in probably some deeply, probably some crying moments of like, <laughs> like if you're going to go through and start processing all that deep stuff, it's like going through all of your, your own, st- I don't know. I, maybe I'm just reading something there. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I haven't tried it yet, so maybe I'll have to let I, you know. I've had, it's been a while since I've sat through and tried to like read a lot of the Bible myself either, where like I, I've read it 
a, a little bit over the past while. Usually if there's like something specific I wanted to read, but I haven't had the same experience of like, because I mean, a lot of my experience with the Bible growing up was very much the same as yours of like just trying to read it and think that it's good and like mm-hmm. will some, some holiness into myself. But it's like right, trying right. to figure out how to, how to do that well is, is a, it's an interesting new experience for me. But dude, anyway, I, I don't want to take up yeah. the the whole rest of your day here <laughs> thank you so much for taking some time <laughs> no, to, you're good to share this with me i know this is like kind of personal stuff this is i'm fine it was fun i <laughs> i liked it it's it's interesting to uh, kind of process it a little bit with somebody else and and get your reaction as somebody who wasn't raised yeah. in it and kind of hear hear what you think looking in uh, while also still having you relate just ba- on on the you know hardcore Christian kind yeah. of uh, perspective. Yeah, man, I, this was been enlightening for me too, and just like causing me to to it's caused me to do a lot of self reflection, and I I don't think that that's that's going to mm. stop. I think that these this conversation and this whole digging into this for a little bit is going to stick with me for a while. <laughs> yeah, I, and I mean, I think you know the unexamined life is not worth living, right? Somebody you, you have to self reflect. That's, that's gotta be somebody somebody gotta have written that before you. That's a good I think that's, that's a good quote. Yeah, I th- I think that's Socrates okay. who who said that, I think. He was a pretty smart guy. Somebody said it. I actually yeah. just learned the other day that apparently, <laughs> I, f- I feel maybe kind of dumb saying this, but I didn't realize that it goes Socrates and then Plato and then Aristotle and then Alexander the mm-hmm. Great. I didn't yeah. realize there was a, a direct connection there of like of mentorship. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, right? well, it's like I mean, there's anyway that that's another tangent. I, we should leave that for another day. That's a whole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But thanks again, man. Well, that was interesting. If you enjoyed this conversation, consider sharing it with someone else you think might find it interesting. Even better, try to find someone you think might disagree with something here and take some time to listen to their perspective. Try to have a meaningful, good-faith conversation. Practice listening deeply and patiently, and speaking clearly and precisely. I think if we can get better at this, we might actually change the world. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.